0: Welcome to our podcast series, Trading with Traders, hosted by expert trader Garth McKenzie in London, from where he's interviewing various guests on the topic of trading. My name is Garth McKenzie. I've been trading since the age of 16. I headed up the retail derivatives desk for a large stockbroking firm in South Africa from 2003 until 2009. After that, I left the corporate world and I started TradersCorner.co.za, an online service that caters to DIY traders providing analysis and trader education. I also ran the Traders Corner TV show on Business Day TV for over 10 years from 2009 to 2019. I've recently relocated to the UK and I trade both the South African and the offshore markets. Through this series, we hope to connect traders with other traders across the globe to share information, tips, and general advice on derivatives trading. The podcast series is brought to you by IG, a world leading CFD provider. On to today's episode. Hi, everyone. My name is Garth McKenzie, and I'm really proud and delighted to be coming to you and bringing you this new podcast series called Talking with Traders. Over the next couple of weeks, we'll be talking to a bunch of successful traders in my network which have agreed to talk to me about their trading story, their history in the markets, how they got involved, what their methodology is, and some interesting stories. And I'm sure you'll find it riveting. Each podcast is around about 25 minutes long, and we'll be bringing you one of these every two weeks for the next couple of weeks. But before we get into that, this is an introduction, and I want to tell you a little bit about myself and where I've come from in the markets and where I see myself going in the future as a trader. My interest in the stock market started when I was 14 years old, and it was an interesting story. I went to Parktown Boys High School in Johannesburg, and those of you who know that school uh, will know that it's, it, you, you have to drive through Houghton to get there typically, and our big rivals on the cricket field and the rugby field every weekend was King Edwards and St. John's. And uh, one Saturday morning, my dad was driving me to St. John's to go and play cricket. And we drove through Houghton. And those of you who know Houghton will know that it's a very affluent area, lots of big mansions. It was home to Nelson Mandela and uh, some very, very other prominent South African multimillionaire families. And as we drove through the streets of Houghton, I said to my dad, what do you think these people will do to live in a fancy neighborhood like this? And he said, oh, well, you know, boy, they're probably all stockbrokers. And it was just a throwaway line, but it stuck with me. And I said to my dad, well, what do stockbrokers do? And he explained how you buy shares on the JSE and the price moves up and down and you can collect your dividend twice a year and you buy the shares at a low price, hopefully, and sell them at a high price. And all of this really appealed to me. And I asked him a couple of other questions and he obviously picked up the interest and said, well, I'll tell you what I'll do. I will bring the newspaper home from work every evening and we'll mock trade with a handful of shares with a fictitious amount of 100,000 Rand. Now, this was in 1994, so it was before online share trading. If you wanted to know what the share price was, you basically had to wait for tomorrow morning's newspaper or you had to phone through to the stockbroker to find out. So, We did this, we we mock traded with 100,000 Rand and we we picked about 30 different shares that we followed. A lot of them were gold shares at the time and uh, we mock uh, traded with our 100,000 Rand. Every evening after dinner, we would sit down at the dining room table and hand draw charts of these share prices as they moved up and down and over the time of about two years or so, we actually did really well with our fictitious portfolio. The, the 100,000 Rand grew to about 135,000 Rand in fictitious money. And by the time I was 16 years old, I said to my dad, I'd actually really like to try doing this for real now with real money. So we went along to a stockbroking firm, It was a firm called BP Bernstein in Johannesburg. I think it's still around these days. And I opened an account. I think my dad must have stood surety for the account, given that I was still a miner at the time. And uh, I put what, whatever money I had in it, which was 3,000 Rand at that time. And it was money that I'd earned over school holidays and weekends working uh, in stacks, selling office equipment and fax machines and computers and the like. Anyway, I started trading with my 3,000 Rand, and I very, very quickly learned that it was not uh, as easy doing it with real money as what it is with, with play play money. First of all, 3,000 Rand is just not enough. Uh, because the transaction costs will kill you. And second of all, the emotional anxiety that you go through with real money is totally different to when you're trading with play play money or when you are paper trading. So it was a disappointing exercise, but I didn't give up. I continued to pursue the markets. I continued to try and learn. But to be honest, I was a very slow learner. I just consistently lost money and uh, kept throwing money at it. Each weekend and school holidays, I would earn more money and throw a bit more money into my stockbroking account, only to then see it lost again. And then some point during the, the way, in about 1998, I discovered warrants, which turned out to be an, uh, an even faster way to to lose my money. So it was a persistently disappointing exercise, but I, I never gave up. I went to uh, Randolph-Rakantz University and studied a BCom degree there, and uh, In my final year of study, I didn't have lectures very often, so I started looking for a part-time job. And I got a part-time job with a futures-broking firm. And uh, I'll never forget the interview with the boss of that company, who I'm still in contact with these days. And uh, I went there and I said, you know, I think it was a Wednesday evening after the market had closed and I suited up with my tie and whatnot and went there and met with this guy. And uh, he said to me, what do you know about futures? And I I said, well, to be fair, I don't really know anything about futures. I know about shares and I know about warrants, but I'm not, I've heard of futures, but I don't really know much about them. And uh, we had been talking and he knew one of the things I'd liked, I'm a bit of a petrol head, I like cars. So he said to me, well, my boy, let me put it in terms that you will understand. He said, shares are like a Volkswagen Beetle, warrants are like a Golf GTI, and futures are like a Porsche. We trade futures here. So I said, Oh, well, that sounds wonderful. Sign me up for that. In any case, I eventually got a part time job with this futures broking firm. And that was in the year 1999, if I'm not wrong. And uh, we started, uh, I, I, he basically said to me, that, You know, there's the dealing room, those are the dealers. You need to learn by osmosis, and I'll find something for you to do around here. And eventually he did. And we, well, I worked for him for a number of years and um, was sent to the firm's London office. One of the uh, big uh, memorable experiences that I had working there was the 9 11 uh, Twin Towers disaster uh, and what happened to the market on that day. It actually happened not that long after I joined the firm and it was a very, very ugly day on the markets, as you'll probably understand. So that stuck with me for a very long time. Ultimately, that firm uh, didn't make it actually for a variety of reasons. And I ended up in a very fortunate position where I was uh, offered a a job to join a trading desk at BOE Stockbrokers, which has subsequently become part of Nedbank Private Wealth. And that was an opportunity to join their trading desk. They were starting up a single stock futures desk, which was a brand new product at that time. This was 2002 at the time, and uh, it was a beginning of of a new, well, the end of a bear market, the start of a new bull market that would ultimately run until 2008. And the market did really, really well over those five years. From 2003 till 2008, the JSE gained nearly 400%. So it was an incredible bull market. And for me as a young guy getting a job on a trading desk at the start of a new bull market with a new exciting derivatives product was absolutely a a wonderful and very, very fortunate opportunity. Ultimately, I ended up heading that desk and I worked there for seven years and uh, the, the catalyst or the event that ultimately set me off on my own path and leave to leave the corporate world was the uh, financial crisis in two thousand and eight and two thousand and nine. The market crashed uh, the JSE fell by more than fifty percent. And it was just carnage. It was absolute carnage. And it's just interesting that we're starting this podcast series now when we're actually going through a very similar situation right now to what we did in 2008, 11 years ago. And uh, the thing is that I'd built, I'd spent a lot of time building that business uh, and it had done very well, but literally our clients were decimated and we, 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 the phones just stopped ringing. So I felt that at that time it was my cue to leave and go and do my own thing. I always knew that I didn't necessarily want to be a corporate guy for my whole life. So I I decided to resign from BOE and start my own business, which was Trader's Corner. Uh, I was 29 years old at the time. I didn't have any family or kids, no major responsibilities. I'd made some decent money. So I figured it was as good a time as any to start out trading my own capital for a living and start my own trading business. And if it really didn't work out, well, then I suppose I could have gone and got a job again. So that was the attitude I took to it. And uh, I'm happy to say that it's been a really good news story. Uh, some of you might have followed me on Traders Corner TV, on, on um, Business Day TV. That's a TV show that's been going for nearly 10 years, or actually it was 10 years, um, until the middle of 2019 when I eventually left South Africa and I, I moved over to the UK where I'm based now. And over those 10 years, I traded on TV with uh, real money, my own money, which I put into a trading account. And every year, whatever profits I'd made, I donated to charity at the end of the year. And um, over the 10-year period, I managed to donate over 700,000 Rand to uh, to, to charity uh, over those, over those 10 years. So it was a very, very successful TV show. It was great for my exposure. It was great for the channel. And it was also wonderful for the audience in terms of the, the learnings that they received. And it was also obviously great for the charities as well. Um, now <clears throat> the, the thinking around Trader's Corner, which is my business, my subscription business, traderscorner.co.za, is that it's a it 's a it 's a trading advisory business essentially, basically I publish my research and my analysis together with my colleague Andrew Todd, who i 've worked with for the last fifteen years and um, we are passionate about the markets, both of us eat, sleep, and drink the stock market uh, I think we 're one of the we 're those people who you, you are we count ourselves very fortunate to say that we don 't really have a job we have uh, we do what we love. And if you love what you do, then it's uh, you know they say you never work a day in your life. So we love what we do. Look, some days are very stressful, some days are very difficult, but by and large, we love what we do. We love the stock market and we love the fact that it's the land of endless opportunities and there's always something going on and there's always an opportunity to be had as long as you know how to find it and how to put yourself in the way of it and then how to execute around that opportunity. Traders Corner, my business is uh, the, the mantra that I live towards is promoting proper trading principles. And the thinking with that is that uh, the vast majority of retail traders lose money trading. If you look at any CFD platform, you'll know that regulation now requires that those firms disclose to publish how many percent of their clients lose money. And that number is usually anywhere between 70 and 80% for most uh, CFD providers. So what it's telling you is that there's a very, very low success rate of traders, people out there who trade their own capital, particularly when it comes to leveraged instruments. So I'm talking about CFDs, futures, forex, and the like. My with my business with traders corner is to try and assist people in making the right decisions employing the right principles and just getting a few basic things right to help them in their trading you know at the end of the day trading is actually not really that difficult we make it difficult for ourselves by overcomplicating it and by not having the required discipline to make success of it but if you can acquire the discipline and just follow a couple of basic rules I'm pretty firm on the view that you can make money successfully on an ongoing basis as a trader. Uh, but you need to, you know, you need to do the legwork. You need to do the homework. It's not an easy way to make money. The, the saying I've always thought of is they say it's a, an hard, it's a hard way to make an easy living. And there's, that's very, very true. Trading is not easy. In fact, from a psychological perspective, it's probably one of the most difficult things you'll ever try to do. But if you can get over the psychological hurdles then you can actually do very, very well as a trader. And it can be a great amount of fun and it also a career that affords you a great deal of freedom as well if you do it right. Um, so that's uh, a little bit about me and and my history in the market. Look, I've, um, I've seen a couple of the crashes like we've seen this past week in the, now, which was in March of 2020. Um, my, my first crash that I saw was in 1998 when I was a young buck, and I had a bit of money in the market, and I lost a lot of it then. Um, I then saw nine eleven when the airplanes hit the Twin Towers, and that was very scary. And then the bull mar- uh, the bear market, rather, that traded from right after the dot-com bubble burst, basically, which was 2000 to 2003. I watched that bear market very carefully, and I lived through it. And it was actually the time that I sort of started my formal career in the market, and it was, it was tough. I remember at times thinking, goodness me, this is this is no fun at all. You know, maybe I should have looked at a different career because this just is is awful. You're listening to Talking With Traders, a podcast series brought to you by IG, a world leading online trading and investment provider. If you haven't checked out the IG online trading platform, please do so and visit IG.com. Also, make sure you subscribe to the podcast series on your favorite podcast app or website by clicking on the subscribe button And you'll be notified weekly as we release new episodes but ultimately bull markets come and go and bear markets come and go and i think that what we're seeing now in the markets actually there's parallels to be drawn between the dot-com bubble and that bear market that followed and what we're seeing right now at the moment um obviously then also saw the crash of 2008 and leading into 2009 that was the financial crisis and uh, I mentioned what that did to our business when I was working at BOE, running the trading desk there, and how it decimated the business. So I've seen a couple of these things. Um, I'm happy to say that I came into this crash reasonably well prepared in the sense that I'm not very exposed to the market. Uh, I did have a small put spread option structure on the S&P 500, which is working. But I did also get hurt on a few things where I was trying to buy into a weak market and it didn't didn't bounce as much as I expected. So I took a few knocks. But in all fairness, I think given the carnage that's happened on the market over the last two weeks in the beginning of March 2020 here, I think I've come out relatively unscathed. So perhaps all of that experience over the last nearly 20 years has helped to stand me in good stead to some extent. And uh, I am... Somewhat excited about what the years ahead hold because bear markets do ultimately present very nice opportunities for a long-term investor, but also for a trader as well. And we'll talk a little bit about that now, I think, uh, given that this is where we are in the market. We've just seen the biggest stock market crash in the U.S. since 1987. Uh, It rivals worse than 2008 in terms of its speed to the downside. Uh, The U.S. markets have fallen over 25% in the past two weeks. Significant, significant destruction of value. And, of course, the catalyst for this was the coronavirus, but there was actually a double black swan event that occurred. It was not only the coronavirus and the spread of the coronavirus and the panic and the hype around it, but also the fact that um, there seems to be a breakdown at OPEC where the Saudis and the, the Russians and the rest of the members of OPEC couldn't agree to... Uh, supply uh, amount of oil supply and ultimately the the Saudis decided to go rogue and flood the oil market with as much oil as they could and we've seen the oil price absolutely collapse on the back of that. It's fallen from $50 to $30 in in a week and keep in mind it was $70 in January so you know in less than three months the oil price has actually halved So that's a double black swan event, the oil price situation and the coronavirus. And that has been what has really set uh, panic into the stock markets globally. And it is where we find ourselves at the moment. And it's interesting that we're now starting this podcast series at the beginning uh, of, well, not the beginning, during this massive bear market, during this enormous period of volatility. And um, I suppose, you know, We'll perhaps check with some of our guests whether they have any advice or any guidance. But I'll certainly try to give you my thoughts uh, now in this introduction in terms of what I see uh, on the markets at this point and how we potentially play this going forward. The first thing I think I want to say is I don't know what's going to happen next. Nobody does. If anyone says they do, they're probably lying. So that's the first thing. Um, I just don't know what's going to happen next. I think it's going to be very, very volatile. That much, I think, is, is certain. But whether the market has a violent bounce from these levels or continues to head lower from these levels, I don't really know. And I don't think anybody does know. What we can do, however, is look back to past bear markets and see how they behave and maybe gain some insight from that and then extrapolate that forward to what we might be expecting on equity markets globally now. So I think what one needs to keep in mind is that we've just seen an 11-year bull market in the U.S. markets, not in South Africa because South Africa's had its own issues, but in the the U.S. and in most of the developed world, we've seen an 11-year bull market, which is, is a very long bull market, one of the longest bull markets in history. It's been fed on cheap debt Uh, On quantitative easing by the Federal Reserve and also not only them also the European Central Bank and stimulus from the Bank of Japan as well. So all of the major central banks around the world have juiced up this market. Low interest rates, uh, very cheap access and easy access to to debt and what that has enabled is companies to buy back their shares. So what essentially companies have done on mass is they have issued bonds, they've issued debt, they receive the proceeds from that, and then they go out and buy back their shares in the market. Doing that serves to reduce the number of shares in issue, and that therefore enhances the earnings per share value on on, on the companies that have done this. It's a little bit of smoke and mirrors, however, because a number of research uh, reports that I've read says that, in fact, since 2012, 2013, the actual level of corporate profitability in the U.S. hasn't really grown. All that's happened is that the number of shares in issue has declined because of all of these share buybacks and what's that served to do is ultimately re-rate these share prices upwards because of the fewer number of shares in in circulation and the other thing is also that low interest rates if you plug that into a fair value calculation for any share price uh, an interest rate really really low ultimately does inflate the fair value of a shares price because your risk free rate is so low but I think it's important to note that, that that's what's really driven this market over the last 11 years. And it, it has, I believe, resulted in a bubble, which has now burst. In fact, the, the, the last leg of this bubble was classic, classic blow-off stuff that we saw into the end of uh, 2019 and into the early part of 2020 now. What had happened earlier in 2019, in fact, late 20, 2018, was the Fed began to try and hike interest rates, to try and normalize interest rates after this decade of low interest rates. And the markets caught an absolute wobble of note following that. And the Fed said, whoa, okay, we better not do that. And they did 180 degrees about turn and actually started cutting interest rates. So throughout 2019, the Fed cut rates and that then actually enabled the the U.S. stock market to then head aggressively higher. And the speed of that move higher accelerated in the latter quarter of 2019 and into the first two months of 2020 a steep steep rise like that is never sustainable and it wasn't in this case either and what we what we saw was also some typical uh, blow-off behavior in 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 the stock market Uh, when you've got stocks like Tesla going from two hundred and fifty dollars to nine hundred dollars in in a month um, and that was just one of many, many other examples. Classic, classic blow-off stuff that happens at the end of a bull market. And now the bubble's been burst. The the coronavirus and this oil situation that I described has been the catalyst that's effectively pricked the bubble. And, you know, if you think about it, if you blow up a balloon and then you put a pin prick in it, you try and blow that balloon up again, you're not going to get anywhere. And I think that's where we are now. So I do feel that we've seen the end of the bull market of the last decade. And I do feel that we're now in a bear market for the next couple of years. And it's important to note bear markets don't last two weeks. You know, there's a lot of people out there saying, oh, we must start looking for the buying opportunities now. Yeah, maybe in the short term, that's fair. You probably will get some nice bounces in the market in the next couple of months. Uh, But you need to take a trading view on that if you're wanting to trade those bounces. I don't believe that now is the time to be buying aggressively into this market from a long-term perspective. I think that if you look back at any past bear market, what typically happens is you get a major crack to the downside, just like we've seen in the last two weeks. Then you get a nice recovery. And in this case, I think To to expect that the market even rallies, the S&P 500 perhaps rallies back to its 200-day moving average, which is at around about 3,000, that's not impossible. That would be a 15% rally off the lows that we've seen recently. Um, It's very, very possible that you get a very big bounce like that. And keep in mind that bear market rallies are some of the biggest rallies that you'll ever see in your life. They happen very, very quickly, and they're very, very violent. But ultimately, they end up making lower highs, and those are actually sellable rallies. And that's the way I am most likely going to be approaching the market in the coming months and in possibly the coming years even. I'm a firm believer that if this is now a a bear market, which I think it is, and that we're starting to see the excesses of the last decade start to come out, then I think you need to hone your shorting skills on the market. Products like CFDs are a nice vehicle to use to do that because you can short them easily. And... um, Providers like IG Markets, for example, uh, have a, a nice array of stocks that you can short both in South Africa and on the international markets as well. And that's where I'm going to be looking to try and hone my skills. You know, I've, I've, I'll be fair, I've not been successful in trading bear markets in the past in my career. I think because they happen fairly fast and they don't happen that often. But um, you know, I've seen a couple of them and I would like to think that now after 20-odd years experience in the market, I want to try and see whether I've managed to achieve the self-improvement, to actually trade a bear market successfully. And that will involve shorting into these massive spikes that I refer to. And I'll possibly also use some option strategies, some put-spread type structures, etc. I do think that's the way to make money. I think that a buy-and-hold strategy over the next couple of years is really not going to be much fun. So just do keep that in mind. You know, there's a lot of people out there that will always say, oh, you've got to buy when the market's down and buy when there's blood on the streets. And yeah, absolutely, no doubt. However, I think that this, this bear market that we're now in, I think probably still has further downside ahead of it in the months and in the years ahead. I don't think that what we've just seen in two weeks in March is, by, is now the end. I think that this is only the beginning. And that any rallies that we get from here on out are likely to be sold into. And for that reason, I think one needs to adapt your strategy. You need to hone your shorting skills if you want to make money in the bear market that I think we're going to see in the next year or two or three even. Keep in mind, bear markets typically last between 18 months and 36 months. Uh, I don't know whether this one lasts less than that or longer than that. Time will tell. But I do think that if history is any gauge, then we can look to previous bear markets in terms of how we trade this uh, market going forward. And like I said, my uh, lean is towards the short side into these very big bounces that I expect we will see along the way. Now, back to the purpose of this podcast series, which we're calling Talking with Traders, it's a it's, it's something that I'll be doing with a number of traders who I know, who I've in- interacted with over the years in my network as a, as a market professional. Um, some phenomenal stories, some really interesting guys that we'll be talking to that I think you will find fascinating. Like I said, each of the interviews are going to be about 25 minutes long. Something you can perhaps listen to in your car or when you're lying in bed at night about to go to sleep or whatever but i think you'll find these inter- these interviews really really fascinating so please do join us uh, in the weeks ahead i'm looking forward to it and uh, i think it promises to be very very enlightening a very very enlightening podcast series that I, that i think you'll gain a lot of insight and learnings from so with that i'm going to bid you farewell for this first introductory podcast and i'll be back with you in a week or two with our first in the series of this talking with traders podcast series thanks for joining us for today's episode of talking with traders brought to you by ig a world leading cfd provider we really are privileged to have such a leader in the field of online trading involved in this series please follow us on facebook and engage with us there and a reminder to make sure you subscribe to the series by clicking the subscribe button on your favorite app till next time